welcome to Diversity in Tech podcast, the podcast that brings you expert advice and unique insights on diversity and inclusion in the tech industry. Whether you're a software developer, a designer, a CTO or a people manager, we're here to help make your workplace more accessible, open and equitable. This podcast is brought to you by Dint, diversity and inclusion in tech. Join our global community by visiting us at dintglobal.com. That's D-I-N-T global. Com. I'm Davina and I'm Richard and we're the co-founders of Dint. Welcome to our Diversity in Tech podcast. We're talking today about remote working and how inclusive that is. I had always assumed that it was more inclusive than in person working but I was talking to Tina our guest a few weeks back and it turns out that it isn't and there's an awful lot to think about so uh, I'm here with Richard my co-host as always and also with Tina who runs the largest uh, future of work conference in Germany and she has a startup that's completely focused on inclusive communication across communities and countries. Tina, I'll let you introduce yourself. Uh, hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. I am based in Munich, Germany, and uh, I am Bulgarian. I studied computer science, which kind of put me into a lot of minority positions in the workplace. For a large part of my career, the cultures that I was working in were just not designed to allow diverse talent. So as soon as I realized this, I decided to try to work differently. Today, we have an attitude towards work um, that allows everyone to bring their whole self to work which makes a minority of one, right? Because everyone is different. And I find this vision inspiring. How can we help people maximize their potential, being a part in a community, contributing to a shared purpose? This idea is behind the festival, behind my company, Mentessa, everything that I do. The topic of inclusion and diversity is really wide and it has gained a lot of interest in the past two years. So my personal purpose and my uh, hope for all of the projects that we run with Mentessa and the Big and Growing Festival is that we raise awareness and create more broader definition of diversity towards true empathy to every human being as they are shifting the focus from meritocracy to a society that is about helping everyone to be their best self. That's amazing, Tina. And I think all, I assume it's not just me. I think everybody probably thinks that now that we're all joining our Zoom calls or what have you from work and we don't have to go into the office, that's going to be better because, for instance, if we have a baby or a dog to look after or we have a disability or whatever it might be, all of a sudden we're all included but you I think have, have done quite a lot of research into this and that's not the case at all is it so what what are the issues with with remote working companies were thinking that you know this zoomocracy uh, as uh, the term emerged that all of us being little windows on uh, on the same digital screen will help include everyone but also help reduce the differences for example the corner office space or the nicer clothes or uh, whatever else 
um, that is, um, you know, an expression of hierarchy and status at work. Remote work brought a, a lot of a lot of benefits uh, for productivity. Research says we kept up with productivity. We even became even more productive. It says that. Um, even in terms of uh, inclusion and diversity, women's ability to advance their careers um, um, were partly improve, improved because they were hindered by, for example, the lack of or the cost of childcare options, but now suddenly could improve uh, from working from home. And there were many, many, you know, positive examples like this that created hope that the remote workplace will be a more inclusive one. But unfortunately, now after two years in the pandemic, we realized that left to develop organically, a remote work actually reduces inclusion and um, needs to be proactively designed uh, for fairness and equity and um, diversity. Um, so that it doesn't uh, leave people behind. And there are very many different reasons for this. So one of them is that diversity is a fact, right? So we people are different and our preferences to working are different, but those preferences are not distributed randomly. Parents, for example, of younger children have a preference to more flexible work, to more work from home. They have a natural inclination that is not distributed randomly, but is because of their circumstances. Research says that those people are losing on pay raise uh, by not being in the office. They're losing on promotions. And um, there is actually even the soft facts, so how people feel included um, in the workplace seem to be uh, negatively affected by remote work. Research says that, for example, every third woman in the tech sector feels more interrupted and more often ignored in virtual meetings than in person. There is other surveys that show that women felt more likely to feel burned out during the pandemic, working from home, because more often they were the ones that had to juggle additional responsibilities in the family or in the household. If companies just leave this on its own, it doesn't develop a good dynamic. It has to be proactively designed. And there are examples from huge brands like Coca-Cola, like PricewaterhouseCoopers uh, or Deloitte that are deliberately implementing different changes uh, to promote diversity and to install fairness into whatever interaction and uh, processes happen in the digital space too, right? In the metaverse. But it will be a long way until this diversity of one <laughs> can can take place. So do you believe that kind of team size and things like that have a have an impact on the feeling of people's inclusivity? And does this does a small team tend to feel more inclusive and that's harder to scale across a large organization? Or, or what are the factors with that? Mm. Well, that's a great question because if we are a part of a small team or of a larger organization, we always remain human beings, right? So um, we uh, are driven by our deepest psychological needs, if you think about the Maslow hierarchy of needs, and we 
want to be safe and we want to be fed. And then the third thing that we want uh, is to belong. I believe that people naturally can be feeling belonging in a smaller team rather than a large organization because belonging is based on connection and there is just difficult to connect with unlimited people, right? Social media doesn't scale. We learned that after 20 years. There is also research that says that our brains, so the way we are wired to process information and to be able to access it quickly, does not allow us to work with more than 150 people and know about their strengths, skills, interests, and hobbies. This seems uh, for scientists to be the maximum of how much we as people can remember and uh, like really access. Everything that goes above, above a certain threshold, uh, therefore, is just um, people that we don't know, that we have to first inform us about and, you know, read about. And I believe that everyone who is working in a really large organization can refer to this. However, I think that one of the great things of the pandemic was this tremendous level of innovation in tools and processes and just this very intensive experimentation of, you know, how can we make an event more interactive if it's online? How can we match people more efficiently if they don't know each other? How can we think about new ways of sharing knowledge in an organization or finding ways to create connection uh, between strangers online? So there has been a lot of experimentation and I really think that we have moved the needle. However, those tools alone are not enough. Those tools alone can just work with diversity. They can uh, like mirror it digitally. But in order for this diversity to actually take place, uh, it just needs conscious effort. And uh, this effort is a lot higher in a larger network of people, of individuals, than it might be in a smaller group. For, for the people listening who are either working completely remotely or, or maybe have a hybrid model, are there simple things that they can do to make their workplaces more inclusive? Mm. Thank you for putting this question that way. I am typically asked about, you know, what can organizations do rather than what can an individual do? And I think that those are two different uh, questions. And I'm really more interested into the one that you're <laughs> asking me, because to be honest, we are a startup and we run a large conference, but we are organized completely in a decentralized way. So I don't really know the answer to, you know, how to make an organization more inclusive. But I think that it's, it's just important for us to understand that solving inclusivity is partly a systemic program and partly an individual problem. No organization will be able to change their policy around creating more fairness unless the people working in it make an effort to be more inclusive themselves. Both are important and I believe even equally important. So to come to your question, what can each and every one of us do? As a founder, I'm sometimes part of peer learning sessions and we, between founders, share what we, what we have hacked or what we have learned and this is how we kind of help each other. And we are doing a lot of great work on social media, on LinkedIn specifically. So one of the metaphors that I use for this is I say, it's a room full of people. So it's just, it's not your newsletter, it's not your marketing bulletin, it's a room full of people. And 
people need things and people feel validated when you see them and when you react to them. And the reason I'm saying this is that this social thing about social media kind of can be transported to collaborating in the workplace because a company, an organization today, even if distributed online and remotely, is just a virtual room full of people. So there are people with their fears and hopes and desire to belong, but also their need to learn, to develop for self-actualization. And I believe that each and every one of us, no matter how big or small the organization we are part of, the community, can make an impact on how people feel around those needs. So one of the simplest things to say, and for many people, it's like a huge rethinking going on, is I often say, just help each other. It sounds like a no-brainer because who wouldn't want to be a good person and just help others? But when you look into our communication online or on social media or how we write emails, you will very often find that people are not willing to make a step towards the others as often as they should. Trying to value and respect everyone, this is not an empty sentence. This is something that we can transport on everything that we do. So how do I value and respect someone when I write an email? How can I value and respect somebody on Slack? You know, just also think about and to make it very clear for you what respect means and that it means different things for different people. So for some people, it's a compliment. For others, it's not making a comment about how they look and what they do. Just having this curiosity and interest about what is it that makes up a person and that everyone is kind of same in their needs but different in how those can be met is a huge thing and this is the bad news I believe for people who really want to hack it and be very efficient and just install some plugin somewhere that does this automatically empathy cannot be scaled right it's always a conscious effort and uh, this is I think the most important thing also for organizations and leaders to understand as much as we can scale uh, our processes and use tools to communicate faster and better and, you know, have a higher transparency and uh, accountability in different aspects, we always will remain people and people need other people in order to be fulfilled, to be learning, but also to be seen. That's absolutely fascinating. And I was, to be honest, I was taking loads of notes there uh, for my own like personal reference. I know that you're running the, the largest future work conference in Germany. Can you tell us about the emerging trends and new topics that are coming out in the area that, that might help us with this sort of thing? <laughs> um, yes, um, indeed. We have published um, even a report with um, new work trends for 2022. You can find it on mentesa.com slash HR2022. Of course, inclusion is one of the one of the top eleven trends that we have identified, and the the development in inclusion is that while in the past two years we've been talking about diversity, we expect this to shift, and we are seeing a shift towards belonging. Really, the topic of diversity in the past two years, as I said, because of the Black Lives Matter movement, because of the pandemic, and because of the war for talent, was a lot about race and minorities and how can we we engage everyone in the workforce into the value creation, but also in the fair distribution of rewards. But now there is this shift after two years of talking about racism and women's rights. We see that we cannot 
solve all the problems with training around bias and you know policies that we have to shift the attention to the individual contribution of each and every one of us and the discussion um, to belonging. Other trends um, that um, stick to my mind are, for example, the human workplace. It is, I believe, very narrowly attached to what we have discussed until now because we kind of have a digital burnout. So the Zoomocracy became a Zoomification. <laughs> and uh, in order to close the gaps in talent and include everyone, but also create some basic level of uh, health and well-being for employees to stay in the company or to join or not to quit, uh, we have to shift our thinking around work into a more people-centric era from process to people, from hierarchy to community, from jobs to skills and from supervision to coaching to mentoring to what I like to say, helping each other. In this human workplace and in all of the discussion, there is one, maybe third trend uh, uh, to conclude that is really funny, overcoaching. Because we want the workplace to be, you know, more about the people and because we want them all to belong, uh, there is this trend um, from the past two years that we are trying to solve all of that with yet another app and yet another technology. People feel like they are filling out apps about their needs and uh, processes at work, about work, but not actually coming to work. And especially when they're in the home office and there is a toddler crying, this kind of becomes a <laughs> becomes an emerging trend, overcoaching. So it has all need to be very thoughtful with the intention to help people grow and not just to solve a problem. And this is something I must say, I negatively see that a lot of companies, a lot of organizational leaders are thinking about closing the gap in the war for talents, the solving a problem but they're not really with the intention to really help each and every person grow. And I think this will be something that will be keeping us busy in the next uh, years because it will make all the difference um, between the organizations, their productivity, innovation and success. Other trends um, that are connected with diversity and inclusion are discussions around new pay. So until now, there has been a lot of experimentation around alternative pay models like on-demand pay or prepay or daily loans and even for knowledge workers but also beyond and uh, now the discussion is shifting towards more transparency and flexibility around this topic so it will be a very interesting I believe defining year for how we process the learnings from the pandemic and what of this will be kept as a sustainable change. When we talk about remote working, how complex is the attention, if you see what I mean? That concept that, Jeremy, you know, the toddler screaming, Slack is beeping, my emails are constantly beeping. Is that part of the reason you think that productivity is lowered? Because I kind of have this constant drain between my brain switching between multiple things and I haven't even started picking up my phone yet. Is that something that you see? We are all working more. <laughs> so it's just, I don't know if this is because it's just so much 
pressure and just it's everything is just more efficient. So instead of doing two customer meetings, I'll be just doing six today and skip the lunch break or don't go out, uh, just go in circle <laughs> in the kitchen or stuff like this. Other trends that address those developments. Employee experience before used to be very much more simple because it was the building and uh, how it smelled like and how it looked like and what I get, you know, as a pay uh, and what I get to eat around the office or in the canteen. But now it's also your digital tools and how people talk with you on Slack and all of this technology. So it has become uh, more complex and uh, employee experience and, you know, well-being and how to really foster connection. And uh, and I feel with you, with the toddlers, it has just been a tremendous pressure, not only on parents, but also on people who don't have the right circumstances at home or just live with a lot, many more people. And I think this is one of the reasons to increase the divide, the digital divide, not only in the workplace, but also in society, because we kind of got this flexibility as a benefit. But on the other hand, uh, the preferences and the living circumstances in our society that has been designed for one specific group are not distributed equally. The flexibility did not arrive equally either. I could not resonate more what you're saying. I, I talked to friends and I'm, well, there's a group of us who are like really focused on being good dads. So I mean, good dads who work difficult jobs, but like focus on being a good dad. And the, the thing we all talk about all the time is you work wherever you can, in whichever room you're in, and then immediately you go downstairs and you become a dad. And that kind of context switch, there's always an argument. I'm always a worse dad when I walk out of a meeting into a toddler, I haven't had time to acclimatize to this is a three-year-old. <laughs> this three-year-old does not care what you want it to do right now. Whereas yeah. in the work setting, it's more like, wouldn't it be great if we did this? Say that to a toddler and there is an argument on the car. So like, when we talk I... about inclusion, like anyone who's in that situation, like, I, I really feel for you because that context switching is so difficult. Mm. And I love that you're saying this as a man, just to play with the cliche, because uh, actually the service done by The Economist uh, found that uh, men were nearly twice as likely as women to say that working from home positively affected their careers and well-being. And women were the ones that more often say they felt burnt out I think this is the A in the VUCA, like in the volatile, uncertain, complex and ambivalent world, that today the world has become so complex that we should entirely think beyond those cliches because it's always an individual situation and it's for the person with this child and not just for men or women or for the people of color or the white or whatever other divide we think of. For example, there is a statistically proven benefit that American black knowledge workers actually benefited from working remotely because there were not typical microaggressions in the office. So it's good for the ones, bad for the others. And on the contrary, none of those groups is homogeneous, right? So it's a very, very complex thing. And this is why I think when we are thinking about inclusivity in the workplace, it really is a one-to-one -one game. And we have to, as leaders, as employers, as employees, we have to always be thinking about 
what does the person across need? How can I help them? How can I communicate my needs? Because I cannot expect somebody just knows what would make me happy. And we should all like double down on communication and respect to each other. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. It's such an easy thing to say though. And I think sometimes it's a hard thing to do, right? You know, when you're when you're at home and, and you've maybe got all these other things going on, really, we should all be managing our work-life balance and putting some breaks in between and making the mental space switch to toddler, et cetera, et cetera. Is there anything that we can do at the organizational level or as leaders to help people to get that work-life balance and as a result to have better mental health? On the leader level, it's really this individual people think, right? But of course, you're right that organizations can also and have to play their part too by providing the, the system around inclusion and I have heard a great definition about inclusion it's actually the processes that we deliberately install in organizations for everyone to feel happy and included in the workplace uh, it's a great definition isn't it because it suggests that uh, we have to take action there is also a bias against people working from home that the pandemic has not removed even if so many more people do it now, 40% of all Americans work remotely. And still, the, we have even this bias against people who work from home. In order to allow people to equally contribute and participate, even if they're working from home, the company should be really transparent about, about their policies uh, around fairness and that uh, there should be an effort and a commitment that the physical presence will only be valued more if it actually is required um, in the value-adding process. There should be like an informal promise not to penalize workers at home by providing them the tools and permissions to access the same resources like the people in the office, but also to access the same lunch break like the people in the office. It's the time of self-leadership and we all just have to learn to plug off. And I know it's more difficult than it sounds because I have two children at home too, but this is what we have to do. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to help our organizations do the processes they need. And in case we are leaders, but just also peers and colleagues and helpers and supporters, we should be just thinking about the person and trying to give them something that will suit them. Thank you, Tina. Yeah, and I particularly liked your point there about fairness and ensuring that the processes and systems are fair for everybody. And I was just thinking then when you, when you were talking that actually the organisations can also start to measure that fairness. So for instance, if you track if people who are more working from home are not getting the same level of promotions as people in the office, if you start to track some of those things, then you should be able to to put in place things that will move the needle. Um, yes. I think, you know, historically we've not tracked those things most organizations if we start to do that to make it more visible and more transparent mm -hmm. then hopefully we as individuals leaders and organizations can all work together to to make a difference um, but thank you very much for joining us today Tina I've, I've learned a lot I'm 
I'm sure, Richard, you have too. Yeah, Tina, to be honest, I found quite a lot of that really inspirational. So thank you so much. That was wonderful. Tina, where can our listeners find out more about yourself and where can they get in touch with you? Well, really just connect me on LinkedIn, Tina Rusova. I am super happy to exchange on all things inclusion, diversity and moving the needle in the workplace. About the festival, it will take place in April 2022 and you can learn more about this at bigandgrowing.com because this is what we want people to be in the future workplace. And my company, Mentessa, is on mentessa.ai. I'm really happy if you reach out on any occasion. Just let's learn from each other and grow together. What a wonderful sentiment. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity in Tech podcast. For more information or to join our global community, visit dintglobal.com. That's D-I-N-T global.com. Global.com.